Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is precious. It is life-giving. The grass fades, the flowers wither, but your word, O Lord, endures forever. And pray, Father, that your people now would be fed and nourished by the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning our text is building off of, and in many ways concluding, our text from last week, from chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. If you were with us last week, uh, you remember the author of Hebrews showing these early Jewish converts to Christianity that Jesus is indeed better than the angels. Just as a refresher, don't forget the reason the author of Hebrews had to prove that Jesus is better than the angels is because there was a temptation culturally for them to reduce Jesus to the status of an angel. First, because in Judaism in the first century, they had an unhealthy view of angels. They, in fact, it bordered on being cultish. The Apostle Paul actually has to address the issue of angel worship in the book of Colossians. Uh, the Jews saw everything that the Old Testament said about angels. They misunderstood it, they, they misapplied it, and they started to, in essence, glorify angels instead of the God to whom the angels serve. Secondly, remember these early Jewish converts to Christianity were facing persecution, both from other Jews who rejected Christ as the Messiah and from the Romans. And so because of the cultural pressure, they were tempted with the idea of reducing Jesus to the status of an angel so that first they would not offend their fellow Jews by claiming Jesus is the Messiah. And secondly, they would not offend the Romans by claiming that Christ is Lord when the Romans wanted everyone to confess that Caesar is Lord. If Jesus was nothing more than an angel, even if he was the greatest of all angels, he would not be offensive to the Jew nor the Roman. And so because of this, the author of Hebrews had to spend some time and energy putting angels in their proper place in relation to Jesus Christ. And as we heard last week, this issue of elevating angels to a status they don't belong wasn't just a first century problem. It's really a problem in our society as well, both outside of the church and unfortunately even inside of the church. So hopefully it was beneficial to you, to us all to be reminded of the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ is indeed 
better than the angels. He is superior to the angels. So now this morning as we move into chapter 2 of Hebrews, the author builds off of the fact that Christ is superior to the angels. And in our passage this morning, we have the first of five cautions, the first of five warnings found in the book of Hebrews. And all of these warnings have to do with apostasy, with falling away, with going back to our lives before Christ. And the warning this morning is to not neglect the salvation that Jesus Christ alone offers. In other words, do not neglect the gospel. Because Christ is better than the angels, because he is superior, there is no being, even in heaven or on earth, who is over Jesus Christ. We must pay closer attention to the message, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed to us. This warning this morning is is summarized in verse 1 of our text where the author urges us to pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Uh, Verse 1 is really the main point of the whole passage. The author wants to make it known to his original audience that if they go back to Judaism, they will drift away from Christ. He's drawing upon nautical imagery here. The, The phrase drift away in Greek brought to mind in the original audience an image of a ship whose anchor has been uprooted And the ship is slowly, perhaps even unnoticed to those on board, drifting out to sea, only to be lost forever. And so his message is clear. If these early Jewish Christians slowly drift away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be lost forever. And brothers and sisters and friends, we uh, this warning, of course, is one that we must take seriously. If we drift away from the gospel, if we drift away from Christ, if we lose our first love, we will be lost forever. C.S. Lewis once said that, uh, he, he once said this. He said, as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who have lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? I think C.S. Lewis really is getting to the heart of this warning from Hebrews 2, verse 1. Listen, the danger for you, the danger for me, for us, is not so much that we're going to be argued out of a belief in Jesus Christ. It's not very likely that someone is going to come along and present to us a logical, reasonable argument as to why we should not place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a good reason for that. It's because ultimately there is no reasonable argument as to why we should not believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only one who can give us salvation and the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. The real danger is that you and I will simply drift away from this truth because of our inattentiveness to the gospel. That is how most people abandon the faith. They simply drift away. It's not intentional. 
It's not on purpose, but rather it happens because we have failed to pay attention. It happens through inattentiveness. Pastor Richard Phillips, is a pastor in our denomination, says in his commentary on Hebrews, there is a current to this present evil age, pulling strongly out from the safe harbor of salvation in Christ. We do not have to actively betray Jesus or renounce our faith simply by not paying attention, by becoming preoccupied with the sights and sounds in this world. We can be easily drawn out until we are swept away forever. And then he continues, if you do not pay attention to your spiritual condition, it will deteriorate on its own. Now, there are many ways that we can neglect our spiritual condition. The Lord in the Bible has given us many, many resources for us to make use of to make sure we do not neglect our spiritual condition, to make sure our anchor stays firmly rooted in the gospel. But we can, and I think we often do, myself included, neglect to make use of these resources. For example, we can fail to devote ourselves to the regular reading of the Word of God. We can neglect prayer. Maybe we reduce our faith to the one hour a week that we come to church, kind of checking it off our to-do list for the week. Meanwhile, the other six days, we pay no attention to spiritual matters. Or on the other hand, maybe we neglect the one hour or so a week that we are called to gather together to worship God. And I, if I may speak to this, brothers and sisters, most humbly, with every intent to be pastoral and not legalistic, there are many ways that you and I can neglect the gospel. Many ways that we can neglect or not pay attention to our own spiritual conditions. But I think one of the biggest ways this plays out in our lives today, and not not just this church specifically, but really the church overall, especially here in the United States, is through the constant temptation to not remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I, I realize uh, as a new pastor, <laughs> I might be on thin ice here. Uh, Brian, Brian Chapel at Covenant Seminary said once that when a pastor begins to make specific applications into the lives of his congregants, he runs the risk of angering the church. You know, the, the attitude basically being, all right, you've gone from preaching into meddling now, you know. But I say this again out of concern for the spiritual health of this congregation of whom I have been called by you to shepherd. The failure to make gathered worship a priority every week is one of the major ways that we can neglect our spiritual condition. This is perhaps one of the strongest currents pulling at us, striving to draw us out to sea. We have to remember. We have to remember what happens here when we gather for worship because it is a unique experience in the Christian life. There's nothing else like it in the Christian experience on earth. Think about this. You and I, we come together 
as one people, one body in Jesus Christ at the gracious calling of God Himself into the very presence of God Himself. And when we do that here, God, through the ministry of the Word, through the Gospel proclaimed to us, through praying together, through the ministry of communion, through the ministry of baptism, we're fed by Jesus Christ Himself. What could be more important to our spiritual health? This is why the author of Hebrews will later on in the book tell us to not neglect gathering together as some are prone to do. It is vital for our spiritual lives that we come together every week. And when we fail to gather together, when we neglect gathered worship, when we forget the Sabbath and don't keep it holy, we are neglecting our spiritual condition. We're saying to God, though maybe maybe not this bluntly, but I think it does say to God, thank you for the offer to nurture and strengthen and feed our faith, but no thanks. I don't really need it. Or we're saying to him, this or that, whatever it is, is more important than coming together with your people and worshiping your great and holy name. Now, I fully recognize there are legitimate reasons for missing gathered worship. Sometimes you're sick, you're ill, you just can't be here. And we have brothers and sisters who would love nothing more than to be with us every week, but simply cannot because of their physical conditions. And I want to urge all of us that we should not forget them. We should pray for them. We should pray with them. We should make it our business that if they can't come to church, we take the church to them. But sometimes you're on vacation. It's simply not physically possible to be with us. Some of you have jobs. I would say jobs of necessity. Doctors, nurses, other various vocations that at times require you to miss gathered worship. Some of you, in order to be a faithful provider for your family, in order to put food on your table, must work on the Lord's Day. All of this is understandable, it's reasonable, it's acceptable. But many times, I think we are tempted to miss worship simply because it is inconvenient to us to be here. Because it may require a sacrifice on our part. Being here may mean that we or our children can't be somewhere else. I know that for a few years, I myself went through a spell where I simply could not be bothered with the Lord's Day. I thought first that it wasn't that important to my own spiritual health to go to gathered worship. Uh, And secondly, I thought that it wasn't worth me getting out of bed anyways on a Sunday morning. Early in our marriage, years before I was in ministry, I didn't Okay, this isn't recent, (laughs) but uh, before I was in ministry, Heidi was in essence a church widow. She would attend Lord's Day services while I stayed in bed because I had a late night on Saturday night, um, or I felt that Sunday was the one day I had to relax. Um, I was in a band at that time, and, and many times I would skip church to rehearse or to record with my band. And I will tell you, my spiritual health suffered. 
And I think my attitude at that time, though I didn't realize it was at the core of my attitude, uh, I think my attitude at that time reminds me, uh, and this may be a little irreverent, but uh, it reminded me of the TV show The Simpsons. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer decides he doesn't want to go to church anymore. He would rather stay home and lounge around, and that was more important to him than going to church. And uh, there's a point in that episode where his wife, Marge, confronts him. And she basically says, listen, the Lord only asks one hour of you every week. And Homer's response was, well, then the Lord should have made the week an hour longer. And I think his answer in that episode embodied my attitude towards the Lord's Day. The question we should consider is, does that embody your attitude towards the Lord's Day? And parents, for us, this is especially important. It's a common struggle, I think, for young families, uh, because it seems like everything in our lives is striving to take us away from the body of Christ, to take us from gathered worship. Sports in particular make it very difficult. When I was growing up, we never had sports or any other extracurricular activity on Sundays. And and I went to a public school. And it was rare uh, that they scheduled anything for Sunday mornings. Today, <laughs> that's simply not the case. And And so to the parents here, I just want to encourage you to uh, help set boundaries for your family. Make the sacrifice to put Christ first, even if it means your kids will miss participating in whatever extracurricular activity is going on, because Jesus Christ is better. It's far better for you and your family to come here and meet with the risen Christ, have fellowship and communion with him and with your brothers and sisters in a unique and special way. And I know it's costly, and I know it's countercultural, and it's very hard. And again, I, I simply say all of this to encourage us not to bind our consciences, not to be legalistic, not to pry into your personal lives. I only say this because it is so important. Our spiritual health, the spiritual health of our children, depends on us making every use of every means that God has given us to strengthen our faith. And Lord's Day worship is one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest resources God has given us to strengthen our faith and care for our spiritual condition. Again, Richard Phillips says that without giving heed to the spiritual resources God provides, your heart will revert to greed, pride, avarice, sensuality, and malice, all of those characteristics that define our natural state in sin and lead to destruction. The author of Hebrews knows this to be true. And so he gives us this warning in chapter 2. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. That is, we must pay closer attention to the one true gospel, lest we drift away from it. Now, looking at 
verses 2 and 4 then. I spent most of the time talking about verse 1, again, because that's the main point of the text. But looking at verses 2 through 4, these verses build off of verse 1 and give us the reason or the arguments, if you will, as to why we are to make sure we don't drift away. And the author of Hebrews gives us two supporting arguments. The first comes in verses 2 and 3. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's his first supporting argument. And here's the point that he's making. We can see, if we read the Old Testament, that the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable. Now, what is the message declared by angels? In the Old Testament, it was the law. Remember last week how we said that angels often served in the Old Testament as uh, agents of revelation, as mediators between God and man, bringing God's word to men. And the New Testament bears testimony to the idea that the law, as it was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, was somehow though we don't exactly know how, we don't quite understand this, it was somehow given to Moses from God through the means of angels. Uh, Stephen talks about this in his sermon in Acts 7, verse 53. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3, verse 19. Both of them are talking about the angels playing a role in giving the law. And how do we know that the message, the law, declared by the angels is reliable. Because don't we see in the Old Testament that those who broke the law received just punishment? We see it in many places. We could think of Aaron's sons, right? Who were struck dead by God when they offered up strange fire on the altar of God. They broke laws concerning worship and the sacrifices. Or because of the disobedience of the Israelites in the desert, they were made to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation of disobedient Israelites died in the wilderness. They never got to go into the promised land. And the point of the, the point that the author of Hebrews wants to make is if we see in the Old Testament people receiving just punishment for breaking the law, primarily physical death was that punishment, then how much more so will those who hear and reject and drift away from the gospel be justly punished for rejecting this good news? That punishment being spiritual death, eternal damnation, And why? Why will it be worse for those who hear the gospel and drift away from it, reject it? Because Jesus is the greater revelation. It goes back to the first verse of chapter 1 of Hebrews. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. The law brought to us from angels could never bring salvation to God's people. That was not the purpose of the law, by the way. But the gospel, 
declared fully to us in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ and attested to by the apostles. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about in verse 3 when he says it was attested to us by those who heard. He's talking about the apostles. The gospel can and does bring salvation to us. If we repent of our sins and cling to Christ in faith, we will be saved. You see, if we drift away from the gospel, we are rejecting Christ. And if we reject the message that the apostles testified to, which was proven true by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Spirit that God gave the apostles, you know, that was the whole reason why God gave the various signs and miracles to the apostles, to prove, to verify that the message they proclaimed about Jesus was absolutely true, then we if we reject that gospel, are in utmost peril. If we drift away, we will not just receive physical death as our punishment, but eternal death, eternal separation from God. But if we pay attention, if we cling to Christ, if we do not drift away, if we make the gospel of Jesus Christ our anchor in the stormy seas of this world, then we will inherit in every way a great salvation. We will inherit the world to come. We will enter into eternal glory as God's adopted children. We will have the purification of our sins, freedom from the fear of death, the joy and privilege of being able to draw near to God himself. You see, two reasons why we cannot drift away. First, it's because we know that to drift away carries with it the most severe punishment. But secondly, we should not drift away because the gospel that is proclaimed to us in Jesus Christ is absolutely True. It is the only hope that we have in this world. It is the only hope of salvation that we have. In closing, let me just address one more thing about this passage. Some of you may be thinking, you know, Pastor, what is this warning about drifting away all about? I thought we believed as Presbyterians that you cannot lose your salvation. And that's absolutely true. The Bible does teach the eternal security of all true Christians, of all who have truly put their faith in Jesus Christ. John 10, verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, and no one includes yourself, by the way, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I want to make it clear, this passage in no way is trying to create doubt in your minds about your salvation. If you are truly trusting in Christ for your salvation, you can in no way be lost. That's the assurance that belongs to all who are trusting in Jesus Christ. But don't we also know that not everyone who professes faith in Jesus is actually a true believer. 
I think we've seen that true in our lives. I think we can all think of someone who at one point professed faith in Christ and it proved to be a false confession. There are many who make professions of faith to prove that profession ultimately to be false. Remember, the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon, which means it was preached to a very real, physical, local congregation at one point. And we know that not everyone who is a member of a local church is a true believer. And so the author of Hebrews is warning us here to make sure that our profession of faith is real. That it's a true profession of faith. And he is in many ways echoing what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, or I'm sorry, uh, chapter 13, verse 5. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Remember, true faith bears fruit. And so the point of all of this is, again, to make use of all the resources God has given us to bear fruit. To do as the Apostle Peter tells us uh, when he says, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, that if you are diligent in making use of all the means all the resources God has given us to strengthen our faith, to make sure our anchor is Jesus Christ and his gospel, the good news that he has proclaimed to us, then I promise you that you will bear more and more fruit, more and more evidence in your lives that you are indeed a child of the true and living God that you belong to the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. And I promise you that you will grow, though at times you will still struggle with fear and doubt. Those struggles are common for many believers. And at times you may feel as if you're not making progress in your spiritual life. At times you may feel that your fruit is not as fruitful <laughs> as it is in other times of your life, I promise you that if you make use of these spiritual resources that God has given us in his word to strengthen our faith, you will grow in your assurance. You will grow in the assurance that you have indeed in Christ inherited a great and wonderful salvation.